0: We are reading today from um, Jonah, 3rd book, verses 1-5. through five. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of uh, Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed and the word of the Lord and went to Nivea. Now, uh, Nineveh was a very important city. A visit required at least three days. On the first day, Jonah started um, into the city. He proclaimed, 40 more days and uh, Nineveh will be overturned. The Ninevites believed God. They declared a fast, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on the sackcloth. we move to verse 10. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction that he had promised. We go on to chapter 4. But Jonah was pretty uh, displeased and became very angry. He prayed to the Lord, O Lord, is that not what I said when I was still at home? That is why I was so quick to flee t- to Torish. I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to angry, anger, and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. O oh Lord, now take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live.
1: When... The Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy and said All Scripture is breathed out by God And it's good for teaching and training He was really referring to the Old Testament We didn't have what was the New Testament At the time Paul was talking So these are the letters and the teachings That Jesus himself would have been raised with That Jesus would have used in his own teaching Um, I think they're seasoned texts They have a lot to teach us And I picked up the challenge to do it. So indeed, God, may you um, fill our imaginations. May your word speak to us in this time to your glory. Amen. So let me begin. Uh, Obviously, we're here with Jonah, but I want to ask you a question. What if when you get to heaven you discover that God has decided to let everybody in? Christians, Jews, Muslims, atheists, doctors, dope pushers, lecturers, lawyers, Republicans, Democrats—they're all there. How are you going to feel about that? You know, theoretically, it's a really good idea, but practically, it's unnerving. I mean, at the least, it calls into question what our idea of heaven really is, and. At the most, it challenges our theology about who God is. Who, who is God for? Who is God against? Well, frankly, I want to be with people like you. Um, and even if all those undesirables do repent, I'll be honest, I think I probably would still pack a little bit of prejudice. Thankfully, the decision is not up to me. Praise God. Well, this was Jonah's problem. About 750 B.C., Nineveh was the capital of the kingdom of Assyria, and it was a nasty place. It was a place that extracted harsh tributes from her citizens. Um, she was really awful to the, southern, you know, to, the, to the country south, which was the northern kingdom of Israel, which is where Jonah's going to come from. You know, terrible things even continue there today as we witness the leader of Syria um, Mr. Al-Assad using chlorine gas to kill some of his own people. Not a nice place. Well, Jonah is called by God, go cry against Nineveh because their bad deeds have finally come to my attention and I want them gone. But Jonah doesn't want to go to Nineveh, so he protests with his feet taking off from Joppa. I want you to remember that name. Uh, In precisely the opposite direction from Nineveh He's going to go to Tarshish on the Mediterranean Sea You know, we sing that song Here I am, Lord send me Jonah's having none of that He doesn't say heck no to uh, his prophetic call Because he's insecure about whether or not he can do it He doesn't say no because he's afraid of preaching doom To a bunch of barbaric, uh, violent people Nor does he close his ears because He thinks there's no hope Jonah resists the call because there is hope He has what we can probably ferret out from this story A kind of Israel first theology One that puts words in God's mouth to the effect of Of all the nations in the world Israel alone I have chosen You are Abraham's children Jonah knew who was in He knew who was out. He knew who was for God, who was against God, who was under grace, and who was under judgment. Even if the divine himself forgot, Jonah kept track. Where some prophets protest the wrath of God, Jonah is about to protest the love of God. He's afraid of the slim chance that if he goes out there, the Ninevites might actually listen and repent, and God might forgive them. And then where would he be? I mean, he's this popular hellfire and brimstone preacher who says, we have to protect ourselves against people who are different from us. Where's he going to be if the Ninevites all say, you're right, we repent? Sadly, I think it's true that we have a tendency as human beings to, forgive us, Lord, distort our concept of God in ways that reflect our own insecurities and our own fears and boy human nature hasn't changed a lot since Jonah's time has it Well Jonah gets in the boat to go where God is ostensibly not but he doesn't make it the Lord hurls this huge storm at the boat and the ship is threatening to break up and all the ship and deck hands are throwing stuff overboard and praying and And Jonah's down below sleeping you know trying to kind of uh, you know not notice Well he's hauled up on the tossing deck And after a certain examination He admits that he's the reason that the seas are tossing So these, uh, these sailors might have been pagans But they were ethical pagans they, uh, they didn't throw him into the sea at first They tried with all their might to keep that ship steady But that didn't work So over Jonah goes And the sea calms well, down Jonah goes, headed for the bottom, but he doesn't make it there either. We all know that he's about to become part of the food chain. And you know this part from Vacation Bible School? He is swallowed up whole by a whale. Actually, it's a fish, but this story is so fantastic, who cares? So, in the rumbling, sort of stinking belly of this creature, Jonah tries to cajole God. This God he's been trying to avoid, he's there for three days. Reciting every psalm he can remember, and then he's upchucked on the beach that he started from. God visits him again and says, Jonah, are you ready? (laughs) Jonah, after three days in the belly of a well, I'd probably say yes to. He said, I go, I'll go. And here we have message number one of this story, which is you can run, but you can't hide. The divine is persistent. A uh, message reiterated to us in Psalm 139, Where can I go that thou art not, O Lord? But there's more here than news of a seeking, inescapable divine. So after the whale incident, Jonah makes his way to Nineveh. It's a month-long trek. He gets into the city that has 100, ostensibly 100-foot-high 100 walls that are thick enough that three chariots can travel side by side on them. This is a fortress. And there he preaches the shortest one-word sermon in the Bible. It's five words in Hebrew. And he delivers it with all the enthusiasm of a person who whispers, fire, in a burning building. (laughs) Forty more days and Nineveh is toast. No call to repentance, no hellfire and brimstone. But what happens From the cats to the dogs to the cows to the king, everyone puts on sackcloth and ashes. With fasting and repair, excuse me, fasting and prayer, this hellhole of sin and violence just turns around like that. They repent. Powerful. (laughs) Two plagues had struck earlier in that year, and Nineveh had experienced a, a solar eclipse as well, so maybe they were prepared for this, I don't know. Nonetheless, when God saw what they did, God changed God's mind about the calamity that had been planned. But I think the truth really is that God didn't change God's mind. The folks of Nineveh changed their ways, and God didn't have any reason to judge them. Well, Jonah pitches a prophet-sized tantrum right there, right on God. I knew you would do this. I did not sign up for this the first time because I was afraid you would do exactly what you did. How could you? I just knew you would let them off. Go ahead, God, just kill me right now. How can you be any kind of God to me and do this? Weird. God loved the Assyrians as much as God loved the Israelites, then Jonah was better off dead. He had committed himself to a theology and a preaching and a teaching that said, we're number one, we're God's only. God had reached to embrace some pretty bad dudes. And divine grace went further than was imagined. And as one author suggests, sometimes divine grace goes even further than we want. So our prophet clumps out of the city to sulk on a dirt hillside, to see if God's going to change God's mind. If I sit here long enough with a grimace on my face and hold my breath, maybe God will blow him away. He just sits in the sun, and he waits in this crummy little lean-to that he's built. And God comes to Jonah, and he attempts to calm him, and he says, Jonah, is it right for you to be angry? It's a sweltering afternoon, so God causes this fast-growing plant to spring up around the lean-to, and it gives this sunburned prophet a little bit of shade. I think Jonah appreciates being out of the heat because he really bonded with this plant, Because the next morning, God causes a worm. A worm to eat the root of the plant, and it withers and dies. And Jonah then becomes very angry at God for killing an innocent plant. This story just gets better. (laughs) You're going to brand me a heretic at this point. But the most significant part of this story is not the whale. It's the worm. It's what happens in the last two verses of the book. And you can look them up, and I, and Lynn did read the correct scripture. I had given Dennis the wrong one, so um, you get a lot of Jonah in there. You know, there are only 44 verses in this book. Go home and read it. Then the Lord said, Jonah, you are concerned about the bush for which you did not labor and which you did not grow. It came into being in the night, and it perished in a night. Jonah should I not be concerned about Nineveh that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also many animals If Jonah could get so wrapped up in feeling mercy for a plant he did not create how much more would God feel mercy for 120 people the cats 120,000 people in the cats and the dogs that God had created and who turned to him. So the story ends. Jonah is just sitting there on that hillside, fuming at God's unfathomable love of losers and sinners. That's how the story ends. We don't know what Jonah does ultimately. You know, for centuries he's been sitting there in the Old Testament waiting for some editor to rescue him, and he doesn't. Well, maybe it's us to... up. Uh, up to us to finish the story for him. Why would this story, comical, exaggerated, possibly a joke, be told to Israel or to us? Why is, it, why is it in the Bible? I mean, it's hardly a kid's book, although it's a great story, but it's a very grown-up tale of sin and repentance, of, you know, regression and salvation. It, I think it's one designed to challenge us about our concept of the sovereignty of God. Here are Jonah's words. I didn't want to go to Nineveh because I knew you to be a merciful God. What's wrong with a merciful God? Isn't that what we would all like from God? Mercy? Yet when the mercy and the love of God for me is also the mercy of God for them, the hookers and the horse thieves and the other religions, even the violent ones. When I find my Sunday morning God crossing the street to the other side and being with them, the illegal immigrants with children, the Mexicans, the white ring, the white white right-wing evangelists, it doesn't feel right. Most of us will say that we're all for being saved by grace But we harbor this sneaky little belief That somehow grace has to be earned And you have to be like us in order to get it Kind of like Jonah Well at the end of the story Jonah is left under that withered bush He's missed God's embrace Because he refused to open himself to the possibility That God's sovereignty can embrace a whole lot more So the second message of this whale of a tale is that we've got to let God be God. We give up the attitude that we know more than God and that our judgment is better than the divine's and that this or that is what God would do if God had all the facts. Boy, I think this book kind of messes with us. So let me pose the question that I started with. What if you get to heaven and found that God let everyone in? The message of the new covenant that God makes in Jesus Christ is that such is the case, even though we in Jonah might not like it. 1 John says, Jesus Christ is the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not for our sins only, but also for the sins of the whole world. No exception. And in Galatians, In him there is no Jew or a Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for all are one in Jesus Christ. I'd have to get you guys tuned back into saying amen before Curtis comes back. For you are all one in Jesus Christ. Amen. Yet our prejudices lurk. In the Gospel according to Luke, there's a story told about a man aptly named Simon Bar-Jonah. Meaning, this is Simon Peter, who is the son of a man called Jonah. Jonah. And God called him to preach to a group of formerly despised people called the Gentiles. Well, interestingly enough, God calls Peter when he just happens to be visiting a city by the name of Joppa. Is that just wow? (laughs) While there, Peter has a vision. All of those unclean animals that Jews aren't supposed to eat are let down from the sky into this big sort of California king size sheet, and a voice from heaven says, Peter, get up, kill, and eat. And Peter says, no thanks God, according to my religion, I don't eat that unclean stuff, only bad people eat bacon and scallops. And then with the reluctance of Jonah, Simon, Bar Jonah, Simon Peter, gets up, he leaves Joppa, and he goes to a place called Caesarea to the house of a Roman military man. And this is about as foreign as you can get, if you're a good Jew. This man works for the army that is occupying Israel, and he wants to become a Christian. It's a strange moment. Simon gets this distinct feeling that God accepts the Roman soldier and other soldiers as well. And so acting on that feeling, he says, does anyone here have reservations about these guys being baptized? Nobody has the nerve to say no. So there was this massive baptism on the spot. And now Simon goes back to Jerusalem, and he's called on the carpet for this. The higher-ups in the church say, We understand you, uh, you ate some bad things with some Gentiles. And Simon said, Yes, I did. But who am I to hinder the hand of God? He got it. It's painful to think about, but I think we all tend to be a little tribal. We all want the safety lines drawn. We'd rather not have those people move next door to us to change our property values. But we want some people in and we want some people left out. It's just tricky. But whatever line we draw, God comes along and says, Hey, I am the God of the sea." I am the God of the great wind and of the plants and the cattle and the people of different colors and sexuality. And yes, the Republicans and the Democrats and those who need health care and those who don't want to give them health care, I am the God of all of them. So we can sit under our dead bushes, sulking and feeling hard done by when God doesn't smite our enemies like we think he should, but loves them instead, or like the disciples of long ago. We can accept God's love with open arms and say it's not ours to keep, but it's ours to share with people who are like us and people who are not like us. You know, against our unmerciful tendency to divide the world into uh, us and thems, we don't understand, between friends and enemies, Israel hurls this playful tale of Jonah at us. And the question hangs in the air after God's last appeal to Jonah is uttered. Can people who grow up under the prejudice, under the pressures of prejudice, actually change? Well, it's up to us at this point, not to Jonah, to answer that question. And there are some beautiful precedents in our history and in our time of people who have made those leaps over their prejudice. And what we do know is that God never gives up when it comes to knocking on the iron doors of our hearts. Praise be to God. May we journey together. Amen.